Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome back to another edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions for our critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. And uh, we had wanted to focus, and we will focus, on, on Washington, D.C. and some of the political activities that have gone on there in the last couple of days. But news, of course, is a very fluid uh, circumstance, as it is in the United States these days. And uh, we also want to talk about the mass shooting that occurred in Maine last evening. Uh, and to do all of that, we are pleased to welcome back to our podcast, Reggie Cicchini. Reggie is the Global News Washington correspondent in the U.S. Capitol. Uh, Reggie, thank you for joining us. I understand that just moments ago, uh, you got an update on on what's going on in Maine and uh, where that investigation is. What's what's the latest on that? Yeah, uh, so so police, at least by uh, Thursday morning, had said that the number of dead had increased to eighteen uh, in the cities of Lew- in the city uh, of Lewiston, Maine, uh, north uh, of Portland, south uh, of Bangor, the city of about thirty six thousand people, uh, and there were more than a dozen people injured in two different. Uh, shooting locations, one at a bar, the other uh, at what is uh, what is said to be a bowling alley or or a rec center. Um, the governor says that uh, this is a, a a devastating moment for uh, a state that is known to be one of the safest states in the country, although the state has incredibly uh, weak gun laws. But at the end of the day, uh, the suspect involved in this uh, is an army reservist. He is a uh, he is trained in firearms, uh, and as of Thursday late morning still remained on the loose, uh, and it's unclear if the suspect is in Maine, if the suspect had fled further south in towards Massachusetts. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is now the deadliest mass shooting in America this year, uh, coming uh, now beating out uh, the mass shooting back in January in California at a Lunar New Year celebration. Uh, and I know in the headlines that, you know, about another mass shooting, and you know, I, I know some people have cryptically said on social media, well, it's, it's, it's a headline if there is no mass shooting one day. I mean, it's, it's, it's becoming a, a habit, unfortunately, with what's going on these days. But as, as to the, uh, I guess, where uh, this perpetrator, our alleged perpetrator, uh, is right now, uh, as I understand it, Reggie, uh, where we are in Maine, near Lewiston there, it's about an hour and a half to two hours to Boston if they go to the south, but very not that far from the Canadian border either. I would imagine uh, Canadian security and border security have been alerted about this. Sure. Yeah. Look, this is this is a kind of all hands on deck situation. We heard from the police chief. We've heard from uh, Maine police uh, as well that they have been in contact with partners in and around the region. And that would likely uh, include border personnel uh, at the Canada U.S. border uh, in towards Quebec because uh, of the vicinity here and because mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, Maine is not a big state. It doesn't take all that long to get in and out, especially when you're halfway through the state. So, again, we have, um, you know, state police, uh, local police uh, and federal agencies all working in tandem here uh, because, look, this is a shooting that took place, you know, at the time that we're talking some 12, 13 hours ago or more. And the suspect is still on the loose. That is a lot of time to get anywhere, especially in a state like Maine that is not densely populated at all, just 1.3 million people in the entire state, allowing for more you know, space to remain in between where law enforcement is and where the suspect might be. And they developed a profile pretty quickly from the time the shooting occurred. Uh, you know, watching some of the coverage into the early morning hours of today, uh, they know who he is. As you mentioned, they know that he's an army reservist. He's trained in, in weaponry. Uh, but I would imagine that they have some sort of a profile on this guy, you know, where his family is, where his friends are, where he would possibly be. Are you surprised at this stage, Reggie, uh, that they, they don't seem to know where he might be or are they just not telling us where he might be? 
Well, I think that they're going to be um, they're going to be cryptic in whatever messaging uh, messaging that they're putting out. You know, I, I've I've been down here for for nearly a decade, and I've been through this mm-hmm. uh, mass shooting uh, situation on a number of different uh, occasions several times in the last year. And oftentimes, there's either a delay in in law enforcement finding out who a suspect might be, or in trying to piece together little bits of information. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about a small area. In a small state, it is going to be easier, possibly, for law enforcement to be able to at least tie certain pieces together from point A to point B to where somebody might be, to who somebody might know. I think what's also giving law enforcement a bit of extra boost here is that, again, they know who he is. And this is somebody um, who also struggled with mental health. So there are there are medical records that may be able to give some assistance if they're able to get access to that as to where uh, where this person might be, where he might frequent or who he might talk to. But again, the fact that there is a medical uh, record here, the fact that that mental health is um, reportedly factoring into the situation here, again, speaks to the strength or lack thereof uh, of the gun laws uh, in Maine, given the fact that he was able to um, possess a firearm despite a mental health challenge in a state bill that allows for permitless carry mm. concealed of any kind of loaded weapon, be it a, a handgun all the way up to a long gun or a rifle. President Biden was pretty quick to react to this, I, I thought anyway, uh, and, and not just with thoughts and prayers. I mean, apparently he was on the phone of the governor of the state uh, late last night when the news broke about this and, and the mayors of the two communities around there. Uh, but we're kind of getting into a jurisdictional thing here. As, as long as they were under the impression that this perpetrator or alleged perpetrator, I guess, is still in Maine, is this a state issue or is there is there a way for, for the, the government to offer some federal assistance in, in the search and maybe the investigation? Well, I mean, look, the, the feds are, are obviously involved in this uh, already. You have um, FBI local offices from Boston that have been brought into Maine at the same time. You're going to have the ATF um, involved in this as well. And, and when you have the president calling um, not just uh, the, the governor and, and the mayors, but then also calling the senators of the state, uh, Angus, Kang, uh, Angus King, an independent, and, and Susan Collins, a, a Republican, it goes to show that there is going to be a full federal response. And look, uh, uh, targeting uh, uh, the kind of rise in gun violence and trying to curb that is something that this president has done um, for the last three years that he's been in office, but it has been a part of his political story for the last several decades. I mean, Joe Biden was was in the Senate um, when when uh, when laws were put in place uh, banning the sale of assault rifles back in the 90s. Obviously, a sunset clause, um, you know, forced that to end. And we saw, you know, legislation enacted in the month after the Uvalde shooting uh, uh, in Texas mid last year. Um, so this is something that, that the president uh, is, is passionate about. He, he feels the grief um, that, that so many families and so many states uh, have had to deal with when it comes to gun violence, and he does what he can. He, he's oftentimes you know, stymied by a Republican pushback that could factor into the new speaker that's, that's in the House. But at the end of the day, the president offering up uh, a federal resource after a mass shooting is not something that is, that is out of the ordinary in this country. Well, I guess until they get more details about this and find out exactly uh, the, the fate, I guess, of, uh, of the alleged perpetrator, uh, then it's going to get political. And, and we, we know how that ends too often. Let's talk about uh, what's going on in Washington. You mentioned the new speaker. Uh, he is Mike Johnson. Uh, I perused, as you do every day, the headlines in some of the big newspapers uh, right across North America. And the common headlines seem to be, who is Mike Johnson? Uh, talk about an unknown, Reggie, but he's got the gavel right now. 
Yeah, I mean, talk about uh, an unknown. Uh, you know, he's, he, he came into Congress when Donald Trump was elected. Uh, he, he's four terms uh, in, you know, these, these two-year terms come and go fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he, he rose to the ranks uh, uh, very quickly here. Not first and foremost, though. I mean, he was the fourth person uh, to take the title of speaker designate before the gavel was handed off to him. I think what's important here is who he represents, not only at the kind of constituent level, but at the political level in this country. Mike Johnson is very aligned with former President Donald Trump. He is very aligned with the hard right, hard conservative faction of the Republican Party, uh, and, and he represents the values that many of these hard right members uh, of, of whether it's you know the MAGA wing or the or the Freedom Caucus wing have really been trying to do to upend what they believe is an establishment that's that's kind of taken control of the House. You know, we'll have to see what he's able to do, what he's able to kind of um, uh, command when it comes to keeping members in line here. But for somebody so fresh in Congress to be sitting at quite literally the highest level in the House and ultimately second in line now to the presidency after the vice president, this is a very big deal, not only for Mike Johnson, but for the Republican Party. And, and the way things are happening, you're talking about the chronology here and where the power was. And we haven't, I, even people that are in the know don't know a whole lot about Mike Johnson, as you mentioned. Uh, but I guess in, in fairness to him, I mean, if you look at the last couple of years, especially, Reggie, uh, you've got Kevin McCarthy, you've got Jim Jordan uh, and Scalise. They suck up a lot of the oxygen in that room, don't they? So there's a lot of people that, that probably are sitting there and not being heard of very much of, and, and Johnson was certainly one of them. But we even got the impression with his acceptance speech, where he's surrounded by a lot of the people of his, his party, uh, that he is a hardliner. And, and as you mentioned, uh, he was one of the people uh, that led the vote to try to to disallow the the election results of 2020. Uh, what kind of an impact is that going to have at the same time that people like Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader in the House, are talking about time to come together? And I know Biden uh, sent uh, uh, Mr. Johnson a congratulatory note. I guess it was a phone call involved in that, too, where he said the same thing, the same message. It's about time that we stop all the, the crap here and, and bring it together. Is Mike Johnson the sort of guy that's going to reach across the aisle or does he care? Well, I mean, look, in his acceptance speech uh, uh, on Wednesday when he accepted the gavel uh, and he spoke after Hakeem Jeffries, he didn't come across as as a firebrand Republican. He was very calm uh, in, his, in his demeanor, and he was talking to both sides uh, of the chamber, making jokes about Democrats, making jokes uh, about Republicans, putting on this, this kind of show that, look, I'm going to be a, a speaker of the House that's going to work for the American public and is going to bring together both sides of the aisle here. Uh, there are two different ways to look at this. Number one, uh, the government in the United States is very quickly approaching shutdown territory on uh, November 17th, and he's going to need to get you know his party and possibly the Democrats mm -hmm. in line here in order to pass this. The problem is he's, he's voted against continuing resolutions in the past, but Republicans seem to be giving him a bit of leeway here uh, in order to ensure that, that business can proceed as usual. So he does want to try and come across like he's engaging and getting the House back in order. But while the president makes a phone call and, and kind of puts a, a public congratulations out there, the president's re-election campaign immediately targeted Mike Johnson as saying, look, MAGA has now fully taken control of the House. And we thought there were problems under Kevin McCarthy, who was seen as establishment um, and, and potentially more moderate than where they are right now. 
this could be problematic. Mike Johnson is somebody who votes against uh, gun safety measures. Mike Johnson is somebody who is for a national abortion ban. Um, and, and Mike Johnson is anti sending more money into Ukraine. And these are all things that are incredibly important to not only Democrats, but also Joe Biden's reelection campaign. So this is going to set up a fierce standoff between what Mike Johnson wants to do, what his Republican Party wants to do, and what the president and Democrats want to do. Uh, what about the, uh, I was going to say the extreme elements within the, G the GOP right now, uh, and, and although some people would consider Mike Johnson one of those extremists, and now that he's got the spotlight on him, we may see more of that. But I know that some of the others, like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others, are saying, look, I'll support this guy. I don't think she even voted for him. Uh, but on the proviso that they continue with impeachment hearings against Joe Biden uh, and those investigations, Jim Jordan's got his own little witch hunt going on uh, with his committee, which I guess he's going to go back to now since his, he was a failed uh, candidate for this job as well. Are they going to continue that, I guess, you know, with an election year just on the horizon here, ramp up the, the heat and, and, the, and the, the negativity about Biden, or are they going to try to do the business of the country now? Well, I mean, I think that they're going to look at the business of the country as being the mandate that they were elected to carry forward. So, sure, I think you're going to see Jim Jordan remain at the head of the Judiciary Committee and continue these uh, investigations, whether it's into Hunter Biden or whether it's into, uh, you know, pushing forward with impeachments uh, of, of Joe Biden. Um, because that is what they believe their voters sent them into Congress to do, regardless of whether there are, you know, matters to do with, with um security and defense funding when it comes to Israel or defense and security funding when it comes to Ukraine, they believe that that they were voted in uh, because it is their job to take down more of the establishment being the presidency uh, of Joe Biden. Uh, so I think that, you know, Mike Johnson is going to kind of carry the baton forward to what members of the far right wanted to do. What I think is interesting too, Bill, about the fact that he is now in this position he is an election denier, like you mentioned. He is carrying mm -hmm. the torch that was kind of set ablaze by Donald Trump in the you know minutes after his loss in 2020. When Jim Jordan was up for the speaker's position, there were a number of, of you know quasi-moderates within the Republican Party who were really pushing back on the fact that Jordan was an election denier and they weren't lining up behind him and they were throwing their votes to Lee Zeldin or to, to Kevin McCarthy. But then Mike Johnson comes in, in line and the party stands behind him in unity. So it really is an open question here as to what Republicans are actually looking for when it, when it comes to this party moving forward. Now that the keys to the House have been unlocked and they've put a resolution forward, they're, they're getting back to business. But it's kind of unclear what, what, what the broad majority of these Republicans are actually looking for. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room, uh, that elephant being Donald Trump. Uh, because three or four days ago, as, as you reported uh, at the time, they thought they had a candidate. Uh, Jordan had failed in his attempt, I think, after three votes. Uh, and they thought they had a, a person that was going to be compatible, I guess. And Donald Trump speaks up and says, no, he's not one of us. He's, he's, he's a phony Republican. He's not MAGA. And all of a sudden, uh, even though he had won the nomination fair and square, they hadn't voted in the House, but within the Republican caucus, they dropped him like he was a bad habit just because Donald Trump said so. It, I think it indicates just how much of a sway uh, Trump still has within the Republican Party, notwithstanding the, his, his own legal problems. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, it's a remarkable kind of split screen moment in, in U.S. politics here to see Donald Trump, you know, in New York in a civil trial against his business practices, taking the witness stand and then being hit with a $10,000 fine because he's violating gag orders. While at the same time in Georgia, you're seeing members of his former legal team flip 
and turn against him uh, and, and make his legal woes much more difficult, not only in the state of Atlanta, uh, of Georgia, but also how that trickles into the federal investigation in, in Washington. And then when you push the split screen apart and look dead down the center, you have Donald Trump still maintaining this grip, this, this, this influence over the Republican Party to say, look, X person is a rhino. X person is not Republican enough. And I think that's why the, the Biden administration, or rather the, the Biden re-election campaign team, put out this note saying MAGA is now in control. This is essentially Donald Trump uh, in the speaker's chair via another person, this time around being uh, Mike Johnson. These are people who represent Donald Trump and who represent, even if Trump is not in political power, even if he's just kind of playing from the sidelines, it argues the fact that Trumpism is real and Trumpism is thriving. And this is going to be something that Republicans are going to run with. Donald Trump still carries, you know, the, the, the big pails of water at the front of this party and lets everybody else trail behind him. And he lets them know that by nuking people who a vast majority of the party were going to mm -hmm. line up behind. Is this a sense of deja vu, though, Reggie? I mean, you've been following. I know you've been down the Capitol for over 10 years now, but you've been following politics for a lot longer than that. Uh, this reminds me very much of the early 1990s with the Tea Party movement within the Republican Party. And again, that seemed to be the the early stages of them moving to the extreme right uh, politically. Anyway, Newt Gingrich and, and others, of course, were the leaders at that particular time. And I guess the overwhelming question is now heading into the 2024 elections. Uh, is America ready for that? Do they feel as if MAGA is representative of the small C conservative values, or is it even too radical for them? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, look, we, we saw Donald Trump lose in 2020. We saw mm -hmm. uh, Republican pullbacks uh, in 2020, uh, 2022, obviously, they, they made some gains in the House. But given the fact that there's such a kind of a fracture within the Republican Party here to work amongst themselves, it really is kind of hard to see how this this small element of the Conservative Party or the Republican Party is representative of the broader majority of America. And it's because this is still a, a smaller majority in the Republican side, particularly in the House, um, that is that is pushing agenda items that fall out of line with where the vast majority of people sit, whether you know they're on one side of the aisle or the other. So when you see the Republican Party embracing election denialism or embracing anti-LGBTQ laws or embracing bans on, on uh, reproductive rights, there are Republicans that don't fall in line with that. So whether or not, you know, MAGA is at its peak uh, and it may start collapsing inwards or it's at its peak and it just plateaus. You know, we have to wait to see what 2024 is going to look like. But I think you're going to see a drive here by Democrats, by Joe Biden, uh, by by kind of the, the super PACs and the surrogates to say, look, if we let Republicans move as they are right now, the United States could be going down a, a dangerous course. Look at what they've done over the last 10 months. Can you imagine if we do this for years longer? So, you know, Trump has has a grip. The hard right has a small grip right now. We have to see how much that grip can actually hold on or whether there's any release there. Now, it's early days on, on the next topic here. And I just I, I know we don't have too many details. We already know that, that, that Joseph Kennedy or Robert Kennedy Jr. has announced that he wants to run as a third party candidate, uh, not for the nomination for the Democrats, as we once thought. He's way, way too radical for that. But Liz Cheney, in, a, in an interview she did earlier this week, seemed to hint that she's seriously considering a run, I, I suppose, as a third party. Uh, there aren't too many moderate Republicans that seem to have a voice in the states right now. Is, is she that voice right now that people might be able to rally around? 
I mean, look, they might be able to rally around her, but look at how Republicans were quick to pounce on her when mm-hmm. she offered her assistance to uh, the Democratic-led January 6th committee uh, and sat on there with only one other Republican, Adam Kinzinger. Uh, and look at those two Republicans right now. They are no longer active uh, members uh, of Congress because they were primary. They were targeted by not only the far right of the Republican Party, but of Donald Trump. And ultimately, that trickled down to uh, the voting base. You know, look, is Liz Cheney going to be uh, a potential contender here? Sure, it's possible. Would she face some significant and stiff pushback? Absolutely, she would. And you can see that there would be people like Trump, like Ron DeSantis, like super PACs that would just dump as much money as they can in to say, look, this person is a rhino. This person is far too moderate for where uh, the Republican Party needs to be. And it becomes problematic. You know, I think you were talking about Kennedy. I think that's going to be a problem here, too. Republicans like the fact that he may be able to siphon votes away from Joe Biden. Well, look, here he is now independent and a little all over the place when it comes to what his political viewpoints are. There's a real risk here now that he starts to erode some of the votes from Donald Trump or from somebody else who's running, who's who's, you know, gets who kind of gets the nomination um, and positions themselves possibly as Trump light. This could spell problems now uh, for the Republicans. With all that's going on, of course, with the the, the shooting of Nain and, and the new speaker, etc., it's it's interesting to watch news cycles, uh, and and all of a sudden, the, the, what's going on in the Middle East with Hamas it, it seems to be pushed down in the newscast these days, uh, which I, I I think is probably going to switch very quickly because we know that look, it sounds as if the the ground war is going to start moving into Gaza right now. Uh, Biden's got a lot of balls up in the air right now, doesn't he? He does. Uh, and, and look, I think when we're talking about the ground invasion, at least, um, you know, starting, quote unquote, imminently, which is a word that's been you know used now for the last couple of weeks. And then we heard Benjamin Netanyahu on Wednesday say that, you know, this is being planned. We're just not telling you what the day is. I think the question here is, are they still not going forward with this because the United States has asked them to slow down because it puts the risk for hostages on the line here. And if there is, you know, any form of Americans that are killed that are hostages, uh, that could be problematic for Joe Biden. Look, I, I, I spoke to a former Israeli ambassador to the United States last week from uh, the Clinton administration who worked heavily with um, the hostage situation uh, in Syria. And he made a point to me of saying, look, the United States has made a request. Joe Biden has made a request of the Israeli government here. And the United States is the senior friend in this alliance. And any request that's made by the U.S. is going to be a message well received. So whether or not this this not this invasion hasn't happened yet because of the U.S. or because of other logistical planning um, ongoing, you know, the United States is watching very closely here because they have a vested interest not only in the region, but also domestically as well, because this is going to impact politics heading into 2024. Uh, that's a, a word that I, I found fascinating when I watched uh, Kirby and some of the other spokespeople for the, the White House over the last couple of days uh, request, quote unquote. Uh, that sounds like wordsmithing. You know, they, they tried to, to, I think, take a little bit of the steam out of that. You got to figure, though, Reggie, that uh, behind closed doors or in these uh, these coded phone calls between the two, Biden has probably reminded Netanyahu, no, we're not going to tell you what to do. It's your country. But. Uh, you don't have too many friends right now, and we're one of the ones you can still count on. Uh, don't do something that's going to embarrass us. Don't do something that's going to piss us off. Uh, and I, I'm sure that whatever you, you feel about Netanyahu, he's no fool, and he understands that he, he needs the U.S. right now. So uh, it's probably a little more than a request, but that's uh, that's the diplomatic way of putting it, I would think. 
Sure. And I think there's also a reality check that the United States is trying to uh, have the Israeli government pay attention to as well. The U.S. is no stranger to getting involved in a war in the Middle East and it going wrong or going awry uh, and becoming um, a domestic problem that that lingers for years and years and years. Uh, and that's that, you know, that, that can be said for any of the wars that the United States has found itself into, whether it's Afghanistan uh, or whether it's Iraq. And they're trying to look at Israel and say, look, do not make the mistakes that we made. If you're going to go in um, and undertake such an event, ensure that you have a game plan to get out. Ensure you have a game plan for when this is over, that mm -hmm. something is going to be in place in order to not let that um, a vacuum exists that somebody else is just going to, to take over. The advice is being given, whether or not it's being adhered to is one thing. But at the end of the day, the United States is standing strongly by its alliance with Israel. And, and it's, it's so vastly obvious by simply looking at the military infrastructure that's been placed in the region, not to assist with boots on the ground, but just to ensure that you know, uh, adversarial nations in the area don't seek to take advantage and then turn this into a far bigger proxy war. Far uh, Busy day, Reggie. I'm so glad you had some time to talk with us on the podcast today. Stay well, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Take care. Reggie Cicchini. And that's it for this edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for subscribing at the same time, too. I mean, you can get this podcast, some news updates, and exclusive content by subscribing to the Substack as well. Uh, we welcome your comments and your feedback on, on this and every other show, too. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, X, Instagram, and, of course, at This Is Bill Kelly. Until next time, take care. We'll talk again soon. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Rebecca Wizens is a 20-time winner of the Hamilton Reader's Choice Awards for their exceptional client care and legal practice specializing in personal injury, car accidents, accidental falls, and Wilson Estates. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured, or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with a will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wizens, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wizens and Wizens Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife. I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Subscribe to my Substack for timely news updates and commentary straight to your inbox. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know what you think we should be talking about next by contacting me through my website at www.billkelly.co. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care.